The Gospel According to Matthew on the Road to Jerusalem is the subtitle today. We're looking at Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 through 34. We're heading towards Easter. Jesus and the Twelve are on their way to Jerusalem for the last time before Jesus is crucified. And as they walk along the road, Jesus tells them what's about to happen to him once they arrive. Let's look at Matthew 20, verse 17 through 19. Now Jesus was going to Jerusalem on, Jerusalem. on the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So Jesus pulls his his guys aside and and makes this prediction. This is what's coming. And basically, this prediction uh, includes six essential elements. One, he, he, it'll take place in Jerusalem. Uh, he will be betrayed. The chief priests and teachers of the law, or the leaders of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, will be responsible for his death. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, or the Romans, for a death sentence. Um, they will mock him. They will insult him, spit upon him. They will flog him. They will crucify him. And then he will rise from the dead on the third day. Now, those six elements are the passion of the Christ. And imagine if someone that you loved and admired told you that something that horrific was going to happen to them in the next few days. Guys, I want to tell you about what's going to, what's going to take place with me just in, in a few days. You know, knowing how much people love Jesus and, 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 and how they, they didn't really yet realize his real purpose for being here, uh, it would be difficult maybe for some of them to take him seriously when he said something like this. It's like, man, uh, uh, Jesus has sure stressed out lately, isn't he? I mean, uh, did you hear the way he's talking about being arrested and crucified? That could never happen. And, and what was this about rising from the dead? I think Jesus needs a little rest. The, the sun's getting to him. You know, this failure to listen and comprehend uh, is borne out in the very next verses uh, where, where, the, where two of the disciples, James and John, perhaps instigated, or it looks like it's instigated by their mother, are vying for the number one and number two seat in the kingdom of God next to Jesus. Um, verse 20 and 21, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, And kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, Mark's account doesn't uh, mention James and John's mother in the role. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, uh, about how sometimes the Gospels have different details. Um, But... The boys, James and John, and mom apparently had been talking about this, about who, who, who gets to sit where in the kingdom, this new kingdom that they're going to be a part of. Uh, James and John are standing right there with their mom when she makes this request of Jesus to make one of them the number one guy and one of them the number two guy next to Jesus, sitting on the right and the left. So, so right on the heels of Jesus' 
predicting that uh, he's going to die, that, that he's going to die this horrible death, uh, their, their reaction to this is like, uh, you know, Jesus said, hey guys, I, I, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die this horrific death on, on the cross at the hands of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans. I'm going to be crucified on a cross. Just want to let you know that. And what was their response? Well, that's nice. Hey, Jesus, uh, w- when you take over, can me and my brother be like number two and three in the kingdom? <laughs> and, and I could just see Jesus staring at them in this disbelief. And today he might say, really? <laughs> that's your reaction to what I just told you? Verse 22, you don't, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Well, very naively, they said, we can. We can. We, we can do that. We can drink that cup, whatever that cup is. We can drink it. <laughs> Maybe Jesus just smiled at them here, uh, happy for their loyalty. But as Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking for, guys. This kingdom is not going to be like back in David's day. You know, you're thinking kingdom like King David. There's not going to be a, an earthly palace that we all live in and gather in, and this throne room where I'm sitting in the middle and you're sitting on the right and the left. You know, this cup it, that, that I'm talking about, it's not going to be served to you by some servant. Uh, no, it's, it's a cup that's going to be served to you by your enemies, and it's not going to be a pleasant cup. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to be number one and number two, guys? Or any of you? You want to be number one and number two? Okay, can you endure what I'm about to endure? They thought they could. Have, have you ever done that? You ever, you ever said that you could do something when in reality you had no clue whether you could do it or not? Uh, uh, you, 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 you're going to fake it till you make it, right? Uh, just you want the job so bad that you're just going to act like you know what you're doing. And sometimes that works. Sometimes that works. When I was in the Air Force Reserve, after I got out of active duty, my first year in the Air Force Reserve was with um, this unit that um, it was called Rapid Runway Repair. And uh, what we did was we repaired runways after they got bombed. So we, we, a big part of it was filling in bomb craters with dirt. And uh, one of the things we had to do was load dirt into dump trucks and then go take the dump trucks out and dump them into the, the holes. So we used a front-end loader. And uh, I'd never been in any heavy, uh, heavy equipment before. I didn't know anything about any of them. Uh, so we drove up to this front end loader, and somebody said, "Hey, Mark, uh, can you uh, you want to operate? Can you operate this front end loader?" Um, and I said, "Sure, <laughs> sure, I could do that." And so I I had never seen a front end loader or been in one, but I, I jumped up in there, and I think somebody showed me a couple of things how to do. 
Um, and it was only a couple of, it wasn't too complicated. It's not like a, a backhoe where you got six levers. Um, but, uh, but I messed around with it and it played and, and drove and lifted and dug. And, and it didn't take me long. I got the hang of it. And I was able to actually load a, a dump truck. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Uh, but I, I had no clue what I was doing, but I, I acted like I did. Uh, and I think that might be what's kind of what's going on here. These guys don't know what's coming up. Uh, they had no idea what, what it meant to, to bear the cup that Jesus was talking about. What, what, what cup would it be? That this, he was talking about danger, rejection, heartache, pain, death that they would have to, uh, to endure as leaders of the kingdom. Jesus said, don't worry, you're going to experience it for yourself, the same things that I'm going to experience. And we know that that's true. We know they did. Uh, James was the first one to die for the faith. He was the first martyr in Acts 12 too. And then tradition tells us that uh, John, the last apostle to die, spent the last years of his life exiled on the Isle of Patmos because of his faith. All of them in between died and experienced great, great heartache and, and persecution because, of follower, because they were leaders in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus teaches them something new, and then he reminds James and John of the lessons he had taught earlier in chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. The new lesson was, hey guys, it's not up to me who's number one and number two. Uh, those positions have already been prepared by my father. He's in charge of, of that. that. Uh, it's not my job. <laughs> and it wasn't Jesus' job while he was in the flesh to appoint staff positions in the kingdom. Uh, they needed to go to the, uh, the, the HR department for that or something, but uh, not Jesus' job. Uh, so basically Jesus is saying, look, stop asking about that. I have nothing to do with that. My father will determine positions in the kingdom. And then he, he repeated a lesson that he had taught before. This new kingdom is not like other kingdoms. Uh, uh, their number, you know, in other kingdoms, in Gentile kingdoms, their number one and number two guys, all they do is just lord it over people. You know, they, they, they're concerned about two things, position and power, and maybe wealth that they can receive. They don't care about people at all. They just care about themselves. This new kingdom that I'm talking about, that I'm establishing, is going to be different. To be a leader in this kingdom, to be great in my kingdom, you, you must humble yourself. You must be a servant. And not a servant of just a few or a servant of people you like, but a servant of all, even your enemies. Now, why did Jesus have to teach this lesson again? He had taught it earlier. Uh, you know, how many times do we have to hear a lesson again? Because we, we thought we learned it, but we failed again. We, we fell into the same sin that we had learned about before. Uh, we failed to, to apply a lesson that we had heard just a couple of weeks ago. You know, we, sometimes we get, we get tough on the, on the 12 because maybe they're a little hard-headed or slow, but aren't we the same way? I imagine we've all been there where we needed to hear it again because we forget. We get caught up in the world. 
What a great lesson to regularly be reminded of. Greatness in God's kingdom means serving all. Philippians 2, verse verse 3 through 5 sums it up well. The Apostle Paul wrote, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Isn't that the song we just sang? A little more like Jesus. Um, being patient and kind and loving, gentle, helping, give, reaching out and giving a hand to someone who needs help, putting them before ourselves. The whole concept of Christianity can be found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. What a, what a fantastic, if you want to teach the gospel to somebody, that's it. That's what it's all about to be a Christian. Imitate Jesus in all things, others above self. That's Christianity. And it was a difficult lesson for the 12. And sometimes it can be a difficult lesson for us because we have a hard time putting others before ourselves. I know I do sometimes. How much better would life be in all walks of life if we did that, if we followed that, that, uh, that concept from Philippians 2, 1 through 11, if, if we all kept those lessons in front of us and sought to be what Jesus taught us to be, to, to put others first, to be like Jesus. How much better would our workplaces be if everyone there did that? No more backstabbing, no more, no more cheating the boss or the company for work that you didn't do. No more in, insensitive supervisors. No more political promotions. How much better would our marriages be? No more talking, uh, taking each other for granted. No more name-calling, nagging, neglect. More romance, more respect, more intimacy, more time together. How much better would life be if we all followed that concept? Imitate Jesus, others before self. Be a servant to all. Let's look at verse Matthew 20, 29 through 34. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. You know, this is one of those stories uh, that was told a little differently uh, in three of the Gospels that include this story. Um, John doesn't include this story, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Uh, and they, the, if you read all three of them, they're a little bit different if you read them. For example, Luke and Mark describe only one blind man, um, not two, as Matthew did. And Mark gives the blind man a name, Bartimaeus. Matthew describes, as we saw, two blind men, doesn't give either one of them a name. So why are there differences in, in the gospel sometimes? Well, some look at, at these types of differences in the Gospels, and they think, you know, these guys, they can't get their story straight. I mean, that's why you can't trust the Bible. Uh, you know, is it one? Is it two? 
do they have names? I mean, what's the deal here? Well, think about it. Uh, remember, in any situation, when two or more people set out to tell the same story that they witnessed or that they heard about or they want to relate, they are never identical in every detail, are they? In fact, if they were exactly identical in every detail, then we'd need to be suspicious. Because <laughs> they must have gotten together and got their story straight, right? Now, they, they, they tell the story from their perspective. They emphasize the things that grab their attention, and they don't, they don't emphasize or mention things that, that didn't grab their attention. So one person notices one thing that the other didn't notice. It, you know, it's the nature of multiple-person storytelling. That's just the way it is. If all three of us witnessed something, and then we all three testified, it wouldn't be exactly the same. The, the concept or the story, the, the theme of the story would be the same, but the details would be a little different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the same story, and their perspectives are a little different. You see, Matthew was there that day. He saw it. He saw it all happen with his own eyes. He was an eyewitness. Mark was not there that day. Uh, he, he likely heard this story from Peter. Mark was a ministry companion, a partner with the apostle Peter. Peter was there, but Mark heard it from him. Um, so Mark is telling Peter's version of the story. So for him, this, it's, secondhand, it's a secondhand story as told by an eyewitness. Luke also was not an eyewitness. Um, like Mark, as we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, uh, Luke's information came from uh, carefully investigated testimony. Uh, Luke went around, Luke was an educated man. Uh, many think he was probably a doctor, a physician. And uh, uh, he was very precise in his writings. And he interviewed people and heard their story and wrote it down. Matthew remembers two blind men, when, and he was there, he, that's, that just stuck out to him. But he didn't mention their names. Maybe he didn't hear their names, maybe he forgot their names, but didn't mention their name. Maybe he thought the name's not important. In Luke's investigation and his interviews that he had, perhaps people recalled the one blind man that did all the talking and only mentioned that one. That's what the witnesses remembered. As, P as Peter tells his story to Mark, he not, not only focuses on the one who spoke, but he remembered his name, Bartimaeus. The four Gospels are, are, are a great example of the nature of human storytelling. Yet, throughout the Gospels, whenever there's these small differences like that, uh, the message in all three is always the same. The message is never affected by the detailed differences. In this one, Jesus cares about the hurting. He cares about the outcast. When everyone was telling these men to shut up and be quiet, he called them over to talk to them and to heal them. That's the message from this story. Aren't you excited for these two guys, for these two blind men? Perhaps all their lives they've been blind and not been able to see anything. Unlike today, you know, today we have special schools and technology to help the blind live happy and productive lives. In the first century, life for the blind was, was pretty bleak, pretty difficult. 
for them. Basically, your life revolved around someone taking you to a street corner, and, and there you sat all day long and begged for money so that you could eat and live. That was your life. There were no jobs for you. There were no Braille menus at the restaurants. <laughs> uh, there were no radio broadcasts where someone reads the newspaper so that the blind can hear the newspaper like Jim Taylor's uh, stepmom used to do. Uh, there are no social organizations for fellowship among the blind, like the Federation for the Blind here in Wilson that actually meets at the church occasionally. Uh, no, in the first century, if you were blind, your life was begging so you could survive. That was it. That was your life. So when you heard, if you were a blind person in the first century, if you heard that there was a man who could raise the dead, for real, raise the dead, who could feed 15,000 people with a handful of fish and bread, who could heal a paralyzed man, who could drive out demons. You know, when you hear that there's, that there's such a man in the area, that's going to pique your interest, isn't it? If you're a blind man in the first century. When you hear someone tell you that this man's getting, to walk, walk, getting ready to walk right by you, you're not going to mess around with trying to meet him. You don't care if people are trying to shush you, make you be quiet. Uh, you're going to call out to him. Uh, those people who are shushing you, they're not blind. They don't have to beg for a living. It's easy for them to say shush. You're not going to listen to them. You're going to shout even louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. And as they hoped, they finally got Jesus' attention. He called them over to him. Mark tells us that they were so excited or confident that they would be healed, at least one of them left their most valuable possession behind, their cloak. Everybody only had a, like one cloak, one set of clothes, especially someone like this. And you don't leave it because that's all you got. But they left their cloak behind. You know, when you're blind, you don't leave your cloak behind because you might not be able to find it <laughs> if you wander away. One of them, perhaps both of them, left their cloak and they ran over to Jesus, came over to Jesus. Jesus knew what they wanted, of course. It was obvious to him and everyone else what they wanted. They wanted to see. They wanted to, to never have to sit and beg ever again. They wanted to see. <clears throat> Jesus knew what they wanted, but he asked them to say it anyway. What do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, we want to see. We want to see. Well, Jesus was indeed a man, and while he, he did let go of, a, of many of his abilities and privileges that he enjoyed in heaven, uh, like choosing positions in the kingdom of God, uh, he left that up to his father, Jesus did allow himself sometimes to see into a person's heart. He was able to see motives uh, that a person had. He was able to see the reason why they were doing what they were doing. He could see the reason why the Pharisees were asking these crazy questions to him. Because he could tell they were trying to trap him. But he could also tell when someone was genuine, too. With these men, Mark tells us that Jesus saw their faith. He saw that it was a genuine faith, that they truly believed in him, and they truly believed in his power. Perhaps he saw that they left their cloak over to the side, knowing that in just a few minutes, they'd be able to see where they left it and walk over and pick it up. 
Jesus healed them. And they immediately received their sight. No more begging. Can you imagine? No more begging. No more tripping over unseen objects in the way. No more cruel tricks played by mean kids who were passing by. Who touched you? Life was going to be different for these two guys. We can only imagine. So what did they do with this newfound sight? Did they run off to enjoy it? Did, did they run off to see all the things that they wondered what they looked like? Find a mirror, see what they looked like? <laughs> Ooh, yuck. <laughs> no, they chose to follow Jesus. They chose to follow Jesus. And, and here's the crazy thought. If they followed him for the next week, which they may have, they would eventually see this man who reached out and healed them be arrested, falsely accused, unjustly tried and convicted by so-called religious leaders, beaten, mocked, spat on, nailed to a cross, killed by Roman soldiers? Why? <laughs> Can you imagine what's going through their mind? Why? Surely, what, what did this man do but good in his life? And why are you treating him like this? He healed me. He gave me my sight back. But little did they know that this man who healed their eyes was on his way to provide a way for them to see God face to face one day when their life on earth ended. I mean, think about it. What good would sight be in this life if you faced an eternity of darkness separated from God because of sin? So it didn't make sense to them at, at first, but hopefully later they understood that the man who healed them went to Jerusalem to save them. Two things that we can take home from, from the lessons learned on the road to Jerusalem. First, following Jesus is about serving. It's about serving, not being served. You know, being a Christian uh, is about being like Jesus and serving others. We like to gather, don't we? On Sundays, we, we're gathered today. Uh, we, maybe we gathered at Sunday school, some of us. We might gather on Wednesday night. Uh, and, and there when we're gathered, what do we do? We, we receive, don't we? We learn. We, we grow. We're encouraged. We're given encouragement. We're given food, uh, we had spiritual food in the communion this morning, and, and hopefully you're getting some, some spiritual food from this message or from uh, Steve's Sunday school lesson. Um, uh, but there's physical food, too. On Wednesday night, we're going to have some physical food. Last week, we had some Ukrainian-style food from Donna, and maybe we'll do Chick-fil-A this week. But, you know, we gather and we receive food, both physical and spiritual, and that's good. It's good to gather and receive and take in we all need that as Christians. But, but then we need to leave our gatherings ready to share what we receive with others. Giving them encouragement. Giving them food. Physical food if needed or other physical needs that they might have. But also spiritual food. We need to be ready to give them the spiritual food that we receive. Uh, sharing with them the blessings that we've learned about Jesus and how they can have them too. So let's take what we've received today, this morning, and share it with somebody 
this week. Second, when the two blind men were healed by Jesus, their response was to follow Jesus. Not to go off and and do whatever they wanted to do on their own, but to follow him. And shouldn't that always be our response? Jesus healed us from a disease that would have condemned us for eternity. He saved us from our sins. He's the only one that could do that. He took our punishment for us on the cross. We're going to celebrate that in the next couple of weeks as we celebrate Easter, as we do every Sunday here. Shouldn't that compel us to follow him? To follow him. That's what he wants us to do. That's what he's calling us to do. The world tempts us to receive his healing, his forgiveness, to say thank you. Thanks a lot, Jesus. You're you're such a great Savior. I, I really appreciate it. And then, so often, we just go on and live our lives the way we used to, hardly giving him any nose at all. What Jesus did for us should change us, truly change us. It should cause us to not just be a fan of Jesus, where we just come to the arena and cheer for him on Sundays and then leave and go back to our lives. But we should, rather than being a fan of Jesus, we should be compelled to be a follower of Jesus, someone who is devoted to serving him every day of our life and all that we do. Jesus went to Jerusalem to save these two blind men. And he went to Jerusalem to save you and me as well. And like them, may our response to that healing be to follow him and to serve him every day for the rest of our lives. Father, we thank you so much for this example that you have given us in in your scripture. These two men who who were very desperate in life. Um, they, they had nothing. Their life was, was just begging and hoping to survive. But Lord, you, you healed them physically and gave them uh, a chance to live a normal life. But then you went and you, you gave them a chance to have a wonderful eternity when you gave your life for them. Father, help us to to be like those two blind men, to come to you for healing, and then once we receive it, to follow you. Lord, may, as we follow you, may we be ready to receive whatever you have to give us, but then ready to give and to serve and to share what we have with others. Lord, help us to imitate Jesus, others before self. In Christ's name, amen.